In years past, on pre-election shows, we'd get together a little panel involving uh, Alan Stanton and Dave Mather, representing the left and the right, with uh, yours truly offering a, his usual not very definable stance. But uh, unfortunately, the men were not available for this current show, but they may come back in a couple weeks just to look back at things political. Trying to partly make up for their absence by a review of some old clippings that I sort of pulled out in the uh, last week or so. Political things that reverberated in previous shows, which I guess are still reverberating. Water issues are always reverberating, and um, we would note that Proposition 1, well, it's going to pass. It seems to be uh, favored by everyone across the political spectrum. It asked whether the state should sell $7.1 billion in additional general obligation bonds to redirect $425 million in unsold general obligation bonds that were previously approved by voters for resource-related uses. This is going to break down into $4 billion for more water storage, a billion and a half for watershed protection, and a billion and a half for projects to improve groundwater, half a billion dollars for flood protection, and $5.7 billion for more water storage, which requires uh, matching funds. Personally, I've come to conclude that until we set some limits on the growth of population in California and thus have some sort of benchmark which we can use versus our water supply, all this is nonsense. Oh, and all these, all these, uh, these newspaper articles you're reading about how we need to save more water, we urban users can do more, to ease our water crisis? It's all crap. 80% of the water used in California goes to agriculture. Something like 20% of that goes to grow alfalfa, which generates something like 0.4% of our revenues here in the state. Of the 20% left for urban use, industries, commercial operations, and governments take 6% meaning that perhaps 14% of California's water is being poured into bathtubs, toilets, and washing machines, or sprayed over residential lawns. Personally, I've seen numbers much lower than that, but let's just figure that it's 14%. That means that cutting urban use by half would roughly equal cutting agricultural use by 10%. What do you think makes more sense? Anyway, I'm probably going to vote no as a protest vote on Prop 1. We've got four other props in the 40s, 45, 46, 47, and 48. For my money, the most important one is Proposition 46. It asks, should California require random drug tests of doctors, require doctors to check a statewide database before prescribing certain drugs, and raise a cap on non-economic damages in medical negligence lawsuits? As a practicing physician, I ask you, dear listener, to take all those lines of reasoning and vote no, no, and no. It's pretty clear, dear listener, that the real point of this, um, this proposition is to allow for higher settlements for our trial lawyers. Currently, the, there's a limit, there's a cap on pain and suffering at a quarter million dollars. They want to raise it to $1.1 million. And the reason they want to do that is because in taking a third of it, lawyers can then raise their payday from 80000 to 300 and something thousand. And that's really what this is all about. If California institutes random drug tests on doctors, it'll be the first jurisdiction, as far as I know, anywhere in the world to do so. And uh, I'm not just talking about you know, my profession here. I've taken a stance against random drug testing here uh, for years. 
in our mania to fight drugs in our ill-fated drug war, this is one of the tools. And what it mainly does is miss all the people who are abusing alcohol because that's the toughest drug to pick up on random drug tests and catch all the people that have smoked any marijuana because that's the easiest drug to catch on random drug tests. So here's a scenario. Your doctor's about to embark on a two-week vacation. On his first night in Maui, he relaxes by smoking some marijuana. Three weeks later, while back in California and receiving a random drug test, he tests positive. Although this would have no bearing whatsoever on his practice of medicine, he's now, well, a guy with a positive drug test and all the badness that that indicates. In terms of this database, which we're all supposed to check, we have this in place now. It's called Cures. This proposition will require every doctor to check the Cures database or face sanctioning, even if he's been prescribing analgesic medication to his or her patient for the past 20 years. If he doesn't check the database, he's in violation. This is a very bad proposition. And you will pay for it in higher costs because your physician is going to have to pay more for malpractice coverage. Sacramento Bee noted a few weeks ago that the TV spots that are pro-46 are ignoring the high cost this proposition will force us all to incur. Now, personally, I think in some instances, in some instances, anyway, it would be nice if, uh, in cases of legitimate medical malpractice, there was a higher limit than a quarter of a million dollars. I know people with legitimate cases who were stuck by that provision of the law. But if we raise that limit on pain and suffering to $1.1 million, we're going to see many, many more lawsuits, a great deal of which are not going to be justified. How can I say that? Well, just look at what people sue for now. We'd cite the week's Only in America file and note that a Delaware man is currently suing a medical clinic because he woke up from a colonoscopy wearing a pair of pink women's underwear. Turns out Andrew Walls, age 32, was employed at the Delaware Surgery Center at the time of the incident and claims that the extreme and outrageous joke played by his colleagues caused him to suffer severe emotional stress and mental anguish. Now, if Mr. Wallace was here in California and Proposition 46 passed, he might be able to sue for $1.1 million worth of pain and suffering. And we hope you're not swayed by Ralph Nader's Pro 46 push. The Bee noted that Ralph Nader and Jerry Brown are pretty chummy. Brown attended a symposium held in honor of Ralph Nader's sister, UC Berkeley anthropologist Laura Nader, whom this correspondent once sat down and had a chat with. But uh, Nader was chiding Jerry Brown for not getting behind this quadrupling of the pain and suffering cap. And although Mr. Nader certainly is entitled to his opinion, we'd like to remind you of the fact that back in the year 2000, Ralph Nader was of the opinion that it made no difference to this country whether Al Gore or George Bush was elected president. Nader ran an aggressive campaign for president. And while normally we, we are very encouraging of third-party candidates, we have to note it didn't pan out too well back in 2000. It would not have been possible for Jeb Bush and company to elect his brother president by stealing votes in Florida had not Ralph Nader made that possible by getting 22,000 votes in New Hampshire, almost four times the difference between Bush and Gore, taking most of those votes away from Gore. Had New Hampshire gone to Al Gore, it wouldn't have mattered what they did down in the Sunshine State. And from the clipping file, I have this from July 9th of 2004, which I'm happy to digress on for just a minute which was that it was revealed that 
Republicans were making large donations to the Green Party and Ralph Nader's presidential campaign in 04. Nader's vice president, Peter Camejo, said, I take no money from people who disagree with us, but it turned out his views differed with those of Ralph Nader. Ralph Nader didn't mind taking money from Republican contributors, even though it was bloody obvious that Republicans were making those donations in effort to hurt John Kerry. So don't mind telling you we're a little bit fed up with Ralph Nader and urge you not to listen to him on Prop 46. All right, Prop 47 is going to reduce some criminal sentences to misdemeanors, which means we're going to have fewer people incarcerated under third strikes laws, which means that we can probably do something to empty out our prisons, which currently incarcerate one out of every 99 Americans, the highest rate in the world. That's probably sensible. In terms of Proposition 48 Indian Gaming Compacts, Indian tribes are supposed to put their casinos on their land. If they're allowed to put them wherever they want off their land, well, that just can't be a good thing. Uh, I, I, I can't see voting yes on 48. I think that's about all I'll say. One of our uh, political panelists not here today uh, was tracking, he told me in a conversation a couple days ago, all of the ballot initiatives and how they progress. And I, and I asked him whether he thought this whole tossing out of the arena vote in Sacramento wasn't just nothing but politics. He said he thought it was just bunk because he said if there'd been a vote on the arena, there wouldn't be no arena. Looking at to Sacramento Mayor Kevin Johnson's shepherding of this whole effort, uh, we have to uh, not be pleased at the prospect of creating a strong mayor in our state capital. An old article I dug up from 2006 noted that uh, the newly christened mayor of Sacramento then attended his wedding reception at the home of local developer Angelo K. Sakopoulos, who perhaps not coincidentally uh, donated $100,000 to the mayor's campaign to become a stronger mayor. Now, there's some cynics out there who, who might like to think that Sakopoulos' efforts might make it easier for Sakopoulos to get what he wants out of the city government. And we'll just leave a go at that. A couple of final items. It looks like I got two city councilmen in my district running for state assembly. A lot of citizens in my neighborhood were counting on our councilman, Steve Cohn, to do something to fight Angelo Sakopoulos and Phil Angelides' efforts to build McVillage and then route all the traffic going to and fro through our neighborhood. But uh, Steve was missing in action, which caused me to note that at least Kevin McCarty opposed that uh, ill-advised project, which is now going forward. When it comes to statewide issues, I like what McCarty had to say about water. I oppose the Delta conveyance plan. Too many unanswered questions exist about the financing and impact on the Delta and Sacramento water rights. As opposed to Steve Cohn. I, I support a comprehensive strategy to solve both North and South state water reliability, supply, and demand needs. I'm also in favor of nickel beer night. I made that last part up. But uh, replacing Mr. Cohn in the council... Uh, will not be Ellen Cochran, who we had on this program uh, several months ago, but either a guy who had, I think, six times the developer money to run for the seat than all of the candidates combined, or a guy who himself is a contractor, neither of whom had much to say about the McKinley Village project. Although Cyril Shaw does earn extra points for weaseliness, because when asked about it, he said, well, gee, by the time I get on the city council, it'd be too late for me to vote on it, so my opinion doesn't matter. Anyway, there's so much more we could say about politics, especially politics here in California, but I just don't have the heart. 
Here's one national item that does get my attention, though, that I think I best share. Headline from the beat. Jeb Bush appears likely to run in 2016, Sun says. An article mentions that the younger Bush, George P., is currently running for Texas land commissioner. I thought they were from Florida. Of course, we do want to note, as Will Durst has pointed out before on this program, Jeb Bush is considered the smart Bush, which Will is fond of noting is kind of like noting that Moe is the smart stooge. Politicians, to quote once more from Nikita Khrushchev, they're the same everywhere. They promise to build a bridge even if there is no river. On that note, let's take a break. I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax. Thank mm-hmm. you.